Welcome back to Miskatonic University's Remote Education Program, Literature 209, Graphical Lit and Society, and History, otherwise known as the Comics Course. I am your, as always, dedicated and loving of the youth of tomorrow, especially if you're 18 up and a redhead, um, Professor Hamby, here with my TA as always, Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. And I am doing our midweek inspirational session that Department Head Feckett says I need to do in order to bring some knowledge to you frog chompers. Um, so. So much for loving. It is love. It is a pure love that cannot be spoken of in normal terms. Uh, you have to delve into the deep work of Doshinshi to describe the love I have for my students. Um, oh God, I broke another TA. They told me they told they told me I could only have one this semester. It's not broken, just ashamed. Oh, that's all right. That's normal around here. So, uh, because I've managed to stay off the internet this week, and we need to get this done in about half an hour because I haven't watched this week's What If yet. Uh, and that's on the uh, schedule for tonight. We are going to go over five things that make people feckin' idiots because they haven't read them. They're good, and they should have read them. And so what I did was I just took the giant pile-o-comics that are shoved into my door each week, and I just ritually burned the ones I didn't like and kept the ones I did until I had a stack of five for you guys. Um, and... I know I'm not going to do it again. I now understand that just because there are sprinklers on, you can't throw burning books out a window. I apologize for that. I don't know how many times I can apologize. All right. So we're going to start with one that's been published here in the U.S. under the Europe Comics imprint, which basically grabs stuff from Europe and reprints it. Now, Europe doesn't really tend to do comics in a serial manner the way the U.S. does. The U.S. is very much obsessed with this sort of old newsstand model where you put out a book each month, you hopefully hook them with some intellectual version of cocaine. You know, this is where Superman is, you know, Dr. Snow. And, um, you know, the kids will come back and buy it every month. Instead, Europe has this tradition of these uh, bandes, uh, these books, graphic books, Graphic novels. They, we thought we invented it with a contract with God. No, Europeans got there way before us and just did series of them. So this one is by Becca and Camille Mehu. Again, I apologize for mispronouncing names, but they don't give me a pronunciation name. They just give me Roman characters with accents on them that, depending on the language it comes from, could have several different pronunciations. Not that I learned any of them. So this one is book one of Paloma. And it's called The Misfit Club for Girls. Hmm. Now, um, as a maladjusted female youth, you might appreciate this one, Rowan. Okay. Uh, basically, this is book one of the Paloma series, and it features this protagonist, Paloma. As we first meet her, she's being extremely emo, as emo girls will tend to do. The art style is interesting because, to me... Um, now, it has this very sort of washed out all uh, uh, color palette to it. Lots of greens, especially in these opening pages. 
but it's a washed out, very faded color palette. And the art style is very old school European at first glance, but then you take another glance at it and it's like, it's old school European comic art with a Miyazaki sensibility. I was about to say this looks like manga meets European comics. And I think that's correct. Um, I think despite being an art major, you've managed to have an intellectual moment there. Um, And yeah, I think absolutely. And you can see it in the faces, especially Paloma's face. When you look and you see Paloma's face and she's frowning, you can see the little girl in the back of the car and Spirited Away. I was about to say, she looks like the Spirited Away girl. (laughs) And (laughs) we're on the same wavelength. Are you getting scared? Yes. All right. That's the appropriate response. Um, And and when you see this older woman here who's running the foster home service, she looks like, you know, some of these kindly hearted Miyazaki characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So the basic story is Paloma is an orphan. She has been moved around a bunch of different foster homes. She's hard to get along with. She, in fact, tries to start a fire her first day uh, in the home to which the old lady just looks at and basically goes, well, it's your room if you want to burn it down. I guess you can do that. It's going to suck for you later, though. Um, <laughs> so she puts it out and she says, I have one rule. You have to find a friend within a year or I'm going to kick your ass out. N- not just somebody you bully into being a friend, but somebody that wants to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And she fails. So the old lady says, OK, well, I guess I'll give you another year. And at the end of that, I guess I'll give you another year. And four years go by. And eventually, this crowd of girls forms who kind of recognizes her. And one of them forms the Misfit Club for Girls. And all four of these initial girls, uh, they reach out to Paloma to join them. They basically steal a key to a mostly unused storage room at the school to form their little club. They don't want boys because they feel like that kind of mis- mess up their dynamic. But each of them is unliked for some reason. One of them is always says her mind and is super emotional. One of them is a dyke. Um, anyway, I need to keep this short in order to keep it moving. All of them come from their own special places. Paloma is such a misfit, she doesn't want to join the Misfit Club for Girls. And they do not take no for an answer and reach out to her. Of course you know that she's going to end up a member of the Misfit Club for Girls. The question is, what is the journey there? And the journey is what's interesting. Um, This book left me really interested in reading more in the Paloma books. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think... I don't think this is really a book for girls... Because I don't think the experience is uniquely female. Uh, I I certainly have no problem with it being girls. I think a lot of girls will see themselves in it. But I think there are a lot of boys that could see themselves in it as well. So, that's it. That sounds really sweet. It it is. And I'm not going to give away the ending. The ending is bittersweet. The ending is kind of painful and nice at the same time. Um... So let's do the quick review process with it, because we're already around seven minutes. Uh, Art. You're the art critic. It's very Miyazaki. I have a bias, nine. 
I, I don't think it's very Miyazaki, but it certainly has Miyazaki elements. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with the nine. I think I would have gone a little lower, but Eight, um, the writing, I'm going to put around a seven. It's nothing super original. The outsider who finds their tribe has been done plenty of times, but it's well done. So the writing, I'm going to give a seven. Originality, it's not very original. It's not original at all. A five, a four. Uh, in the end, I think it ends up rating around... Well, your art score is going to push it up there. So I guess we're putting it around a seven. Okay. So, especially for the art. Now, I do think that as you get exposed to more European comics, you won't be as blown away by the art. Okay. But that's the nature of reviews. You know, reviews are always done in the context of your experience. And please ignore the hounds of the quads. They've apparently whelped and have some litters now. And the dean is happily raising the next generation of them. God help the students. Um, so, the next one we're going to do is Invisible Differences by Mademoiselle Caroline in Julie Dachez. Um, yes, and I'm trying to do it correctly. So if you're out there and you speak French and I've just horribly offended you, I do apologize. I am actually trying. Um, it is called Invisible Differences, a story of Asperger's adulting and living a life in full color. I've talked before about memoir nonfiction. This is another memoir nonfiction. This is about this character who you see here. Uh, she's often represent, most of the art here is black and white with some grays and then occasional splashes of red color or maybe another highlight color. Like her shoes are in red or the background color is yellow. And basically she is presented as this extreme introvert. She has trouble dealing with the people in the office. She has trouble dealing with her boyfriend's desire to socialize. She has trouble so dealing with people and she, she comes up in an age in France when uh, uh, Asperger's and autism are very poorly understood. People think that people with autism are like Rain Man, uh, a movie that your generation may not be familiar with. It came out when I was a young adult, and it basically presented an actor, Dustin Hoffman, as a specific type of person with autism, a very high-performing version of autism, well, a very unbalanced form of autism, where he had extreme, for example, mathematical abilities, but could not have even the most basic social skills. So kind um, of the stereotype for autism. Well, and in some ways helped establish the stereotype. That's where that stereotype comes from, for most people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, there's a famous scene in the movie where Tom Cruise drops a batch of... Uh, matches and Dustin Hoffman's character looks down and counts the exact number in a split second and there's a scene here in this book where somebody making fun of her does that like see you're not autistic you can't do that oh god well of course the truth is autism is a spectrum and Asperger's is a spectrum and most people in these conditions have trouble with social interaction but aren't necessarily completely incapable of daily activity and this is distinct from being an introvert. Um, and they, they may have a number of things. They may have sensitivities to certain types of stimuli, trouble with social nuances, all kinds of things. And one of the powerful things about visual memoirs to me is 
they're capable of conveying a set of emotions that words alone don't do. And for example, her relationship with her boyfriend and the looks of disappointment on his face when clearly he feels like she just isn't making the effort and he doesn't understand this is a real limitation of hers. Or the graphics when there's all this noise around and it's overwhelming her. It's one thing to read in a autobiography, the noise overwhelmed me, but the visual representation of it can make you feel overwhelmed as a reader in a way that I think conveys it much more powerfully. And notice on this page, we start in sheer black and white with a few grays. And as her stress levels go up, we get more, starting with these paisley light roses and then oranges and reds until the red is just overwhelming everything in the panel. Um, until we get to the next page where it's almost all red and she's just about to lose it. And you are brought along to sympathize with her. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually she meets in the book a woman who runs a bookstore who likes to draw. And this is literally their story. As you read it, she says, oh, and this is where she met me. Until we get to the end where for the last period of time, the main character has been finally learned what autism and Asperger's is. She would never really knew anything about it at the beginning of the book. And as the story unfolds, she learns about it and deals with both the challenges of people not believing her or having too many misconceptions about it. Um, oh, you're just, you just need to learn how to get along with people. Oh, you're, you can't have that. You're not sick. And she's like, no, I'm not sick, but I am different from you. Um, and and she decides that she wants to educate people about Asperger's and autism. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great book. Mm -hmm. So any of your thoughts before we uh, start scoring tentacles? I like that. That's very sweet. I feel like there is a lot, even though more and more people are trying to talk about this uh, mental disabilities like autism and Asperger's, it's not, it still feels like people aren't understanding and it's nice to hear more about it. Well, it's one thing to have a talking head on a, a platform say, hey, I'm a doctor and I've studied this and this is what it's about. And it's another thing to read a memoir by somebody with the experience, I think. Because you can't really truly understand it till you experience it. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with art. The style itself, I think, is kind of meh, but the idea of the colors, the more and more emotional she gets, I like, because it really helps to convey what's going on. Yeah, this so, creative, interesting use of color. So I'll give it like a six or seven for art. A six or a seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for writing, I think the writing is superb. I think it does an excellent job. I'm going to put it at an eight. Mm -hmm. Originality. Again, we fall into that memoir problem. It's hard to say a memoir is unoriginal. It is a truly unique life experience. Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, there have been other works that have tackled this topic. But I'm going to put that an eight, too. Mm -hmm. So I think we're hovering about a seven or an eight Mm -hmm. for final score here. And I do, in fact, think this is one worth reading for anybody with an even passing uh, interest in the topic. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to note I'm a bad professor. I forgot to put on the background music for today's podcast. Again. I'm a horrible person. I know. Well, I was busy drinking. Again. Um, I know. So the next title is from Dynamite Press. 
they do a lot of books, including some cheesy ones. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is a cheesy one. Now, for those who don't know the Barbarella property, Barbarella was a really cheesy sci-fi movie. Oh, God, I'd have to look it up now, but I want to say late 60s, early 70s. Introduced the name Duran Duran, later used by an 80s band. Um, and it, it, it was known for a lot of, a lot of skin. But also this sort of ideal the director had that was very much born out of a sort of idealistic science fiction that, you know, love and con compassion can be a real force that changes the universe. Um, and, you know, this can obviously be represented by a well-endowed blonde in a skin-tight outfit. Um, and it's easy to be cynical and dismiss it as stupid and exploitive, but the original idea was, in fact, kind of noble. I mean, maybe overly idealistic, maybe silly. We can debate those points. Um, but I actually have a bit of a soft spot for the idea, you know, that love can be a force for positive change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I'm also the guy that plays paladins in D&D. And stuff like that. You know, I like the idea. You know, I'm the guy whose favorite Avenger is Captain America. Mm -hmm. um, so, in this story, we have a story where basically there's this war happening between planets. Um, it's brutal. People are getting killed. And they reach out to Barbarella as a envoy who's known for basically creating miracles. For managing to forge peace treaties without having to kill people and able to handle undercover work. And I think that's really all I can say about the plot, because the plot is a little weird. Um, the writer is Sarah Hoyt, who's done other good stuff. I want to call out the colorist, Ivan Nunes. I think his colors just pop off the page and are really powerful. I mean, I know they're computer done and that has certain advantages, but I still think they're great. And uh, the artist, uh, Musa Bekov, I think he does an excellent job. You know, I think he makes characters look distinct. You know, I think he makes Barbarella sexy without being oversexed. I think his anatomy is generally very good. Um, I, I think the production in this book is really good. And there have been a lot of Barbarella books over the years. Dynamite's had the license for a long time. It, this is certainly not the first good Barbarella book. I'm actually a big fan of the Barbarella and Deja Thor series they did a few years ago as well. But the themes of them have varied dramatically. And a lot of them, she's basically been nothing more than a well-endowed blonde in a skin-tight suit out doing undercover work in the space lanes. Mm. This one thematically really goes back to the original movie, cheesy, love-can-save-the-universe theme and all. Mm. Uh, and I like that. I like that. Yeah. So let's start with the art. I love the coloring. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead and say this is not a book for prudes. There is no, there is implied nudity. There's no really explicit nudity. Um, she is willing to kiss and have implied amorous relations with any humanoid that comes along. Exact species and exact and gender irrelevant. Um, 
If you're a projected form of artificial life, that's fine too. I mean, James T. Kirk is somewhere going, damn, I did not get out enough. So anyway, you were saying about art. I, I just really like it. I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's pretty. Yeah, it's it's just downright gorgeous. It is. And I think that's valuable. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's valuable in that even though it's a dark story, she, there are all these bright tones, these huge landscapes. Like here we're looking at a scene where they're walking along the strip that's floating in the air and there are other floating strips and everything's wide open and it gives you this really just trippy sci-fi vibe mm -hmm. um originality the story's not terribly original i'll give that a four the writing the writing's cheesy at times but i'm biased and i kind of like it so i'm gonna give that a six um i think we're landing around a six or a seven here yeah uh if you're not a barbarella fan you can probably skip it if you don't like 60s sci-fi you should probably skip it but otherwise Check it out. Okay. I'm actually going to do a superhero one, too. Uh, I actually read a bunch of superhero comics trying to fit some superhero stuff in today. Superheroes are so heavily consumed. I think they're worth looking at. But frankly, most of them made me sad reading them. Um, sad in a good way or sad in a, oh, this is trash. Sad as in a, this could be so much better than it is way. Now, this is the new Wonder Girl, which also features the old Wonder Girl. And she, at some point, will become the new Wonder Woman, presumably. I think there's about three issues out right now. DC is publishing these with the Infinite Frontier sort of logo on the front to indicate this is part of that whole publishing initiative. I don't give a crap. I mean, they're publishing initiatives related to major events come and go so quickly they can give you whiplash. Um, but... This does a good job of introducing a new character. She is a young woman, originally from Brazil, but raised somewhere else. She's coming back to Brazil on a sort of heritage tour. And it turns out that there are all these powers related to the Amazons that are looking for her now that she's awakening, apparently, to some Amazonian heritage. So we see uh, Nubia, who's the queen of Them Themyscria, now that Hippolyta is back with the Justice League representing taking Diana's role. And we have Hera at Mount Olympus. And we have the Egyptian Amazons at Vanamishtal, uh, which are sort of a variant tribe of Amazons that split off from the original ones long ago. If I have one complaint, is that they don't do a very good job of introducing some of this background lore. So if you don't know the lore of the Amazons and DC Mythos, it's going to be a little confusing. And you're going to go, who are these people? But I can also understand their desire to not want to make people read a ton of expository text. So, Art, talk about the art a little bit. What are you thinking on the art? I like it. I, I don't know really what to say. I, I like the colors. I like the way they did the skin shading and stuff. And I like the backgrounds. I don't feel like enough comics do stuff with the backgrounds. Yeah, the buildings are good. The cars are good. The explosions are gorgeous. Oh, I, I mean, DC is not, you know, just mailing it in here. Mm -hmm. they, they put good artists on it. 
Uh, the women look feminine and powerful and regal. It's what you want mm -hmm. out of a book like this. Even when she's standing there in shorts and a t-shirt, she looks like a young woman, but kind of has a badass vibe about her. She looks ready to kick some ass. Yeah. And then when she falls in the water and this creature out of pure mythology comes at her, it's just amazing. You feel like you actually are reading a piece of mythology here. That's gorgeous. It is, isn't it? Um, this is one of the rare titles these days where a writer and artist are both uh, on the same uh, doing, page. Well, not a, it's the same person. Oh, Joelle Jones. It's a female, uh, I believe, from the name Joelle. And there's a special value in having somebody both write and draw, and that you get this one vision coming through. Mm -hmm. Now the colors are being done by Jordi Belair. Um, I think the colors work perfectly with it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not an inker listed, so the art, so Jones may be doing her own inking. They're just tracers anyway. Sorry. Um, and I, I, you know, they even say explicitly when they give the lead in for issue two, and I think three issues are out right now. I think that's how many I read. It says next, a hero's journey begins. I mean, they're laying their cards on the table. This is an origin story. This is, they're evoking the language of Campbell's, the hero's myth and the hero's journey. And it's been a long time since I've read a superhero origin story that I really enjoyed. And I was enjoying this. Yeah, I, lo I love this. Okay, we got five minutes to go, so we need to pound through these next two fast. Okay. Oh, wait, but we, we didn't do the ratings. Okay, quick. Art. Wonder eight. Girl. Eight. Uh, story, I'm giving an eight. Originality, a new Amazon is not that original. So right now I'm giving it a five, but that may be revamped if they bring out new story elements that are interesting. We may come back and revisit it when they get the first trade paperback out and view it as a whole. So we're going to give it a six for now. Mm -hmm. But if you're a DC Comics fan, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, read it. Okay, moving on. From Image Comics, Vinyl. Um, what if I told you that part of the plot of Vinyl involves an old man who's a serial killer who a retired federal agent is trying to assist the federal government with arresting, but a cult takes possession of the federal agent who willingly goes with them, and then the serial killer recruits other serial killers to save him. What the hell? And what if I told you that was the most sane part of the story? That's the part that made sense. Drugs are plentiful again. I This is gonzo as shit. This is just fucking gonzo and I love it. Um, you know, before this I was reading one called Eat the Rich and I was just painfully bored. It tried to be gonzo, it tried to be out there. And I'm sorry, we've all seen the rich people eat their employees before. Uh, but this, I had not seen this before. It is awesome. Uh, written by Doug Wagner, great writer, uh, artist Daniel Hilliard. Again, I, I I would not count Hilliard as one of the great artists of the comic book age, but man, he's a workman. He puts the detail in. He puts the lines in. I you know I'm not going to say he's one of the greats, but I don't find any fault in his work. I don't look at any part of his panels and go, he was lazy there. Agreed. 
He's good. He's a solid, solid artist. Um, colorist Dave Stewart. I think he did a, a really good job. He made things really pop. I do think he goes a little overboard at times. I think he could have toned back on the brightness and done a little more shadow in places to bring out more evocativeness. Okay, so, art. Uh, I, I, I like it. I feel like it really fits the style of Gonzo. And I like the way they did the uh, blood and gore. I think it looks very nice and disturbing. So how many tentacles? Uh, six. Six? I'm giving writing uh, nine. I'm giving originality nine. Um, so we're going to have to average this out about eight. It okay. is not a must read, but I highly recommend it. We're going to... And... Our last one. Now, this is kind of sort of a superhero. Marvel's doing a five-issue limited series. I would probably wait to pick this up as a trade paperback, because you know they're going to trade paperback it. It's called Marvel Comics Amazing Fantasy. Uh, Amazing Fantasy was a title that uh, Marvel slash Atlas, I don't know which imprint they were using at the time, did way back in the day. Famously, the last issue of it featured The Amazing Spider-Man, which, after Stan Lee's lame idea got reworked by Steve Ditko and a bondage artist, um, became the Spider-Man that we know today. Steve Ditko shared a studio space with a bondage artist um, who did kinky bondage art stuff and who apparently contributed some of the ideas towards Spider-Man. That's cool. Uh, including maybe the web shooters. That's cool. To bind people up. Hmm. Mm. So, anyway... Basically, the idea appears to be we have these superheroes um, on the cover of the first one. We have Captain America with an axe and his shield on top of a griffin saving an elf from an orc. And the general plot appears to be uh, another universe where superheroes die and they're reborn in this fantasy world. And it's a very classic pulp fantasy world. And we see elements that other types of pulp fantasy are going to be included later, including like Nazis and the moon and stuff like that. We also have the Black Widow and Spider-Man show up in here, uh, all of whom leave our world and get picked up in this new world. If I have any complaint about Captain America, it's that he looks a little bit too much like he's just a quick Kazar stand-in. Um, the truth is, the superhero connection's a little tenuous, but beggars can't be choosers. I love pulp. I love pulp fantasy. I love pulp in general. And they're giving me pulp. And they're giving it to me in an art style I really like. And the writing is at least decent. So they got me. Um, I'm going to read all five issues. I don't, I don't think it's selling that great for them, which is a damn shame. Uh, the art is, in my opinion, really strong. Not in that it's the best art ever done, but it carries those pulp feelings. You know, the cute girls are very cute. The muscular men are very muscular. The dangerous animals look dangerous. You know, it's everything dialed up to 11. There is no subtlety here. So, if you're a pulp fan, I think it's a must read. But let's judge it as a general work. Art. Uh... It's something I haven't really seen before. I don't I have, don't follow pulp much. It wasn't never really something I saw a whole lot. So just as someone who doesn't read a little pulp, it's okay. Um Okay, so we're acknowledging 
that you apparently have no education. We'll try to fix that. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah, apparently an art degree doesn't include the most important commercial mass-consumed art of the 20th century. I understand. I understand. Art majors. Can't learn what they didn't teach me. Yeah, well, you know. You know what they say about art teachers. If you can't do, teach. Wait a minute. We'll put some conditions on that later, folks. Um, six. Six for the art. I like six it. Six for the art. Um, the writing. The writing's not great. Four. I mean, if I'm being honest, a four for the writing. My personal enjoyment bias would bump that up to a seven or eight. But if I'm being objective, a four. Originality. There's zero originality in here. Originality is like a three. So this may sound paradoxical. We have something that's basically averaging around a four or five here, mm -hmm. um, which is right middle of the road. But if you're a fan of pulp, read it, get it, do it. All right. We're at 33 minutes. Um, I have uh, TV shows and liquids to consume. So we're out. We'll be back in a few more days when we talk about the Legion of Superheroes versus... My Hero Academia, with special guest from the future, the ghost of Brian Michael Bendis. The future? All right. He's time traveling. Ghosts aren't constrained to three dimensions. Okay. I'll, I'll even have the Ouija board out. Oh, Lord help us. See you then. Bye.